We now begin the ninth parak of Maseches Ksubis. This is nine one, and the topic of our Mishnah is the husband waiving certain rights regarding his wife's nechsimulug. Now, what are those rights that he is waiving? So he has three separate categories of rights regarding her nechsimulug. The first is that he has the usufruct rights. He's allowed to eat the fruits that it produces. So the woman comes bringing to marriage her apple orchard. He has the rights to eat the apples, even though the apple orchard is hers. Second of all, as you learned previously, if when they're married, she would inherit, let's say, an apple orchard and then choose to sell it. So even if she did sell it, and even though it is hers, so he could annul that sale because he has rights to eating the apples that it produces, and therefore she can't just sell it unilaterally, he can actually annul it. So it's a second right, the annulment right. Third of all, although the field is, the apple orchard is hers, and when he dies, she becomes the sole owner of both the orchard and the apples on the orchard, that assumes that he predeceases her. But if she predeceases him, so she dies first, so then who is the heir of the apple orchard? Him. The rule is that the husband inherits from the wife, and therefore he has a third right in her apple orchard, which is that he becomes the inheritor. So our mission wants to talk about what happens if he is electing to waive some or all of those rights. Now the structure of our Mishnah is that he is giving her a contract, or in truth even just saying in front of witnesses, um, that he is waiving certain rights. Now this has to happen specifically between Arison and Nisuin. Why is that the case? Because prior to Arison, he has no rights in her field. It's like me saying, I waive all rights that I have in your house. So I never had any rights. So that the fact that I waived them didn't do anything. And of course, we could enter into some new negotiation if tomorrow I buy your house, I have all the rights in the world, etc. Um, after Nisuin, so they're already his. So to simply say I waive rights, that won't do much of anything. And the reason why, and this is a bit technical, is because once they're his, once he actually has full control of these particular rights, let's say the rights to the apples, so simply waiving them with a contract or with a speech alone doesn't do anything. He's just doing a siluk. He's saying, I'm I'm withdrawing my hands from something. But once something is his, you can't just, um, to transfer the rights or to relinquish the rights requires more than just writing a contract. It requires a kinyan. It requires some sort of... um, act which affects the transaction to transfer the rights back to her in this case. So the point of our mission here is that writing a, a, a contract alone or saying something without doing a Kenyan would not be effective once the suin has occurred because they're his. So that's not the case of our mission. Our case of the Mishnah is that we're bes- between Arison and Nesuin, he's got this next look coming to him soon and he wants to elect, he opts to waive certain of those rights. So our Mishnah is giving us sort of like, uh, you know, like law school 101. It's saying, well, how do we interpret what he wrote in terms of based on what he said he's waiving with respect to the three rights that he has in her nechzimelug. So the Mishnah says, HaKosav ishto. if what he wrote to his wife was, Dinu devarim enli b'nechasayich. I have neither a uh, right nor a claim in your property. So now, there's two points that the mission is going to focus on. Number one is that we're talking about the neches, the property itself, as opposed to the output of the property, the peros. And also, nechasayach means your property, as opposed to a property that might become his upon 
her death and his inheritance. So that being the case, the Mishnah says, if that was the language they used in his waiver, that he has I have neither um, right nor claim on your nechasayach, your property. He could still have rights to eat the apples that come from her apple orchard because that wasn't the nechas, that's not the property. Those are the peros that come from the nechas, that come from the property. Furthermore, the imesa, if she dies, meaning if she dies before he dies, so then Yorsha, he becomes the heir, he inherits that apple orchard. Says the Mishnah in Cain, if that's true, so then Lama Kasavla, what was the point of him writing anything at all? This waiver is meaningless. Why do you say, what was the content, the meaning, the relevance, the efficacy of him saying, I have no uh, right or claim to your property? Says the Mishnah, what he's waving is that if she would sell the apple orchard or she would give it away, Kayam, then her sale or her gifting stands, meaning he has no right to annul it. All he's waving, therefore, is the rights to annul her sale or gifting of the property once they get married. If, however, now we're going to go to level two, Kasavla, what he wrote to her was, I have no rights or claim on your property, nor do I have rights or claims on the peros, the output of your property, so then, then in addition to not being able to annul any sale, he can't even benefit from the peros, the output of that property, the apples that come from the apple orchard, that are heard next in log, he may not eat, he may not sell, because he waived his any claim to the peros. The mesa, however, if she should die before he dies, then Yorsha, then he still inherits because he said your property, and once she's dead, it's no longer her property, it becomes his property. Rebuta Omer, Rebuta is taking a side point. He says, everything we said is true, but La'olam ocho pere peros, he still be able to eat the fruit of the fruit, ach yichtavla, until he writes the contrary. The fruit of the fruit means something like this. That, let's say, for example, He's waving the rights to the apples in the apple orchard. So fine. Now, if she can do what she wants to the apples. But if she chooses to sell the apples, and instead of spending them on a vacation, which she could do, she opts to purchase more land on which she has a cherry orchard growing. So now she purchases the cherry orchard. The cherry orchard is now hers also, as Nechsimalug. But the cherries that grow of her Nechsimalug are his to get benefit from because he has those usufruct rights. That being the case... The apples, which are the peros, he has waived. But the cherries, which are the peire peros, the fruits that came from the fruits that she sold when she purchased the cherry orchard with the proceeds of the sale of the apples. So those cherries now are going to belong to him unless he waives the rights to those as well. So Rebuta therefore says, the olam peros, he could eat those cherries until he wrote to her in the waiver, I have no uh, rights or claim in your property, nor in its output, the peros, and nor do I have rights to the fruit of the fruits, this, you know, derivative benefits, um, in perpetuity, meaning the third and fourth and fifth generation, you know, if it took the she took the cherries and sold them and bought herself a peach orchard. The same thing would be true. It said, Adullah means, you know, in perpetuity, all the generations of output down. 
That's Rabbi Huda's Shita. Now, the next line of the Mishnah says, What happens if Kasavla Dinudavarm Ainli Benachasayach? I have no right or claim on your property, nor on the output of that property, nor to the fruit of the fruit from that property. Now stop. He's not finished saying what he's saying, the Tanakama, but I want to stop here for a second. The Tanakama has changed his tune ostensibly, right? In other words, there was a machlokus if you need to say not just peros, but also peri peros. The Tanakama said no need at all. By saying peros, that would include not just the apples, if you will, but also the cherries. And Rebuta said, no, if you don't mention Peri Peros, the apples are hers, but the, if there are any cherries, they would go to him, an example I described. So now, why is the Mishnah here lapsing to require mentioning Peri Peros, also the cherries? That seems a little strange. So the answer is that this is an example of we have a Machlokas, between Tanakam and Rabbi Yehuda, followed by a Stam Mishnah, the next line, which is going like, in this case, the Das Yachid, the Rabbi Yehuda Shita. And the halacha is going to be that when you have a machlokus and then a stam, the halacha goes like the stam. So the point of the Mishnah here, why it mentioned this um, peripero seum, is to tell you, as far as the Mishnah is concerned here, the halacha follows Rabbi Yehuda, that unless you explicitly waive rights, not just to the peros, but also the periperos, adolam, so then you've waived rights, the husband's waived rights to the apples, if you will, but not to the cherries and what comes more. Okay. But in addition to waiving um, his rights to the to, to Nechasayach and Perosayan and Perosayan, he says, Bechayach uvomosich. I waive those rights both in your lifetime and in your death. So now he's waived everything. First of all, he can't eat the output of the field during her lifetime. He certainly can't object to its sale. He also, as we said, can't get benefit of the Periperos. And also, Vimesa, if she should die before him, Eno Yorsha he wouldn't inherit her because he didn't limit it to just Nechasayach, her property during his during her lifetime, but even after her death, so he's getting nothing. Now, on that point, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, he disagrees. He objects. He says, listen, the Torah says in the Parsha of Broslavchad over there, in Bamidbar, Perak Havzayin, chapter 27 of Bamidbar, actually, Pasuk Yud Aleph, if you look over there, it says, Vayarash Osa. Now, Vayarash Osa says, Rabbi Gamliel means, the Pasuk is saying, and he shall inherit her, meaning the husband shall inherit the wife. If that's true, that's what the Pasuk is saying. So then, that is that the Torah is saying he inherits. And the fact that he wants to give some waiver and say, I'm not inheriting, the Torah says, yes, you are inheriting, so the Torah wins every time. So the point is, says Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Gamliel, if he dies, even if he said, I waive my rights to inherit from you, you're he still inherits from her. Why? Because he tried to make a stipulation which runs counter to what the Torah says should happen. The Torah says he will inherit, so he can't say he won't. Anybody who tries to make a condition that runs contrary to what the Torah says, but he says his stipulations are just annulled. The Torah a priori says nothing doing. We said the Torah, you can't undo what the Torah says by saying something different. And therefore, he inherits whether he likes it or not. And of course, he can give it away afterwards, but the point is, he inherits from his wife. Now, the Tanakama doesn't agree with that. And the reason why is because when it says, V'yirash osa, so if you read the Psukim, the Pashapshat seems to mean that, sorry, it says, V'yarash, V'yarash osa. So it seems to be in context talking about whoever is the eligible heir will inherit osa it, the estate, the Yerusha, the Nachala feminine, not the, not the, not Osa, 
he inherits her. And therefore, the Tanakhama holds that the halacha, that a husband inherits his wife, is not a din de orais, not a din from the Torah, not based on this pasuk of Vayarash but rather, it's a din de Rabbanan. The rabbi said the husband should inherit the wife. And if that's the case, it's just rabbinic in nature, so then a person could make a tenai, make a condition, make a waiver, which would preempt him from inheriting his wife, and that's the halacha. So halacha is, he, it's just a, it's a smachta ba'alma, the rule that a, a husband inherits his wife, point to this pasuk here about Vyarash Rasa is just, you know, finding a place in the Torah that's a, like, a, a, like a hook to hang on this din, but it's a durabanan. And therefore, he can waive his rights, and therefore, if he does waive his rights to inherit her, indeed, he won't inherit her nechsimalog.